This is the Education Business Podcast for consultants and business owners providing services in schools. I'm Claire Riley, and I'll be sharing how to start, grow, and scale your education business. Hi, everyone. So Ed and I have a guest with us today. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. So we're going to find out all about you and how you can help uh, education businesses. So just going to dive straight in. You are um, the founder of EdTech Impact. Um, You also have Innovate My School. And you've obviously learned a lot on that journey to get to where you are today. So how how did that journey come about? Good question. Um, It's been a... Yeah, convoluted pathway to to where to running Edtech Impact, I'd say. Um, going right back, uh, I became an IT technician in a large all boys secondary school in Liverpool, where my dad was also the head. So a bit of nepotism, I suppose. Um, and then I we got myself involved in all sorts of IT projects. I came straight out of uni on the back of a, a information systems degree, and yeah, I was combined with crawling around on, on, on the floor, connecting cables and plugging in power sockets to then starting up virtual learning environments. The LEs were really booming. This was 2006, 2007. Um, Moodle was a, was a really popular open source platform that we, we decided to go with. And I became uh, Moodle Mike, <laughs> actually was the name I was coined uh, by all the staff. And yeah, we created this uh, this sort of all singing, all dancing platform that really brought the community together. And at the time, that's something they, they'd never done before, using a digital platform to share resources and uh, mark homework and, and things. And I, su- I suppose I then became involved in various IT projects across the school, across the feeder primaries, working with the local authority in Liverpool. Um, and I learned a lot about digital transformation in schools. Mm. Carl Mahinan actually went through uh, as building schools for the future program it was called bsf um, if you remember it was a big drive to improve the buildings um of i mean cardinal heenan was where i was at and it, it was pretty uh it, it, in fact it used to be an orphanage uh converted yeah. into a school so um it, it definitely needed a new building and so yeah. it was picked for i think wave two so going through that process was a, was a real eye-opener for me at my sort of young age and um, and all the decision making that goes with it. Uh, I suppose I was the I became the guy innovating the school, um, bringing back new ideas, attending BET, uh, driving digital transformation uh, in, in various departments and things. And I then uh, started my own business as a side hustle, which became Innovate My School, which was essentially scaling up what I was doing to an extent and finding more instances, more stories across the country, eventually internationally, of, of teachers and IT managers who are, are innovating in their schools, particularly with technology, but it was it was everything, really. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that started in 2010. I, I then went, did the classics, went part-time, working at home, out the bedroom, me and the dog, eating beans on toast and coffees every day for about six months. Uh and then made enough money just to, to quit Cardinal Heenan and, and go full time. We we started events as well on the back of the community we built, um, and this became a really good revenue stream. Mm. Pioneered the concept of 
speed dating in education with head teachers. Um, and that was part of the fun of it, you know, getting all these head teachers to go speed dating and there's lots of jokes and things, but mm. it was actually a really effective format to bring decision makers together around yeah. and, and then introduce them to education products based on the pain points and we'd, we'd match make. Mm. Um, my dad was part of a cluster group in Liverpool called the Liverpool Association of Head Teachers, also known as LASH. And they definitely went on the lash. Um, <laughs> uh, well, they are in Liverpool, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's favourite part. Um, but yeah, you know what I discovered is these groups existed everywhere: primary, sec- secondary groups in every mm. local authority, every region in the country. And we we tapped into that network and built this database of cluster groups and started running speed dates for them up and down the country. And that really helped us grow our revenue and we could then reinvest that into more content, more community. And that became the flywheel really of how we Mm -hmm. built our audience and and reputation. And on the back of that, I started to get involved in all sorts of things like joining the British Educational Suppliers Association, BISA. Mm -hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to get voted into the exec council by members. And that's because I pretty much worked with every single one of them. So they all knew me. Um, And yeah, and you get involved in that sort of thing, and then you're involved suddenly with the DFE and, and interesting projects that are happening there. And at the time, this was about 2017, the DFE decided it was interested in EdTech once again. There hadn't really been anything for ages since the, they got rid of Vector, which was like the, the government-driven sort of Quango. And we had the bonfire of the Quango, so Vector went when, when all that happened, and there was just this big gap. Um, and then the DFE decided that there was like three of them in a dusty corner of the DFE officers, like where the ed tech team. And so they brought together a load of people, uh, myself included, to draw upon where they felt the pain points were and where should they put their focus. And they took a real like researcher sort of mindset to, to the meeting and were just furiously writing as many notes as they could. And what was sort of bubbling out of those conversations was like, evidence you know there's this real lack of transparency in who exists as as a as an ed tech product and are they any good basically so Mm. bluntly and there was just this real um lack of transparency around what they're actually doing and and uh the, the outcomes and the impacts they're having in different schools and a lot of people were sort of looking at me thinking mike you should you, you should start this, you know, you should take this on. You've got the database and the, the network on both sides and it, it kind of, yes, yeah, struck a chord. And so um, I then pursued the path of investment and uh, I was lucky that I'd built a relationship up with um, the MD of YPO, Yorkshire Purchasing, mm-hmm. uh, one of the exec council members of Visa. Um, you know, if there's one bit of advice, it's just like get yourself out there in these networks. You don't know who you're going to meet. Yeah. And yeah. fortunately, I, I, I built up a good relationship with Simon from YPO. And he, you know, I, I guess he, he, he thought a bit of me and thought, and, and he ended up investing, um, mm-hmm. which was quite out the ordinary for YPO, given they're owned by 13 local authorities. That was quite, that was a story in itself, really. But mm. um and, and so, yeah, they, they put in 450000 into this marketplace vision that I'd created around evidence. Um, and I believed, you know, in the sector a while, I'd seen so many marketplace ideas and directories come and go. There's a graveyard of them. And it's because they, 
don't have anything that's actually of value to the, the buyers, to, mm. to the schools, the, the teachers, the parents, the decision makers looking for solutions. And I felt the missing piece was was evidence. And so that was the, the real, that was the heart of EdTech Impact's um, model and, and vision to, to build the evidence base for schools and work with both sides. And uh, sort of fast forward to today, I mean, I've, I've fast forwarded through a lot there, like COVID and everything, and there's lots of learnings, but here we are now. Um, and, you know, coming into the next year, 2023, and we have 400,000 unique users, 1,900 EdTech products, a footprint outside the UK, 30% are, are from the US now. Um, and, and we're, you know, we're a sustainable business, we're revenue generating, and the team's grown. So it has been, yeah you know, an arduous journey, but um, it's really just sort of learning from those lessons and sort of reinvesting into models that work. Yeah, and, and really, I think assessing what does work along the way, that's the hard thing. I think um, sometimes uh, when we're mentoring, you can, you can uh, relay all the learnings that you have, but you also have to experience it for yourself in some way you can you can go into it and you can have some learnings but you also have to make your own mistakes and take those learnings mm-hmm. forward don't you otherwise you you can't learn in the same way i don't think i'm first to hold my hand up like i've made every mistake in the book i feel like yeah. um, us too but it yeah. yeah and it is how you learn um and i mean I, I hope i'm in a position now where i can see a few things coming and try to uh, take a slightly different approach to avoid that mistake, but it still happens. And you know, we were creating a new category. You know, no one's ever built an edit marketplace that has worked in the sector. So we were breaking new ground here. There was no one to look at. You know, we looked at the playbooks of many other marketplaces outside of education, but education is pretty unique as well. Um, mm. And so, yeah, we were always going to make a few mistakes. We're four and a half years in with EdTech Impact. I feel like we're only just getting started because it's taken us a while to figure out the, the model, the flywheel of how we acquire new new users from the, the school side, what the revenue model is on the on the seller side. Um, but yeah, yeah I, th- I just think you've got to get out there. And you know, I'm a natural introvert, I'd say, and suddenly you've got to be the salesperson. Mm. But actually, yeah. you probably are the best salesperson because you believe in it so much you've got the kind of owner's eyes you've got that passion and energy when you're talking to someone about it and that's one of the biggest learnings i'd say is you know i continually brought in new salespeople and handed it all over to them and every time i sort of jump back in we, we got you know that the results went up and i think i was always really quick to try and hand it over and and so we take a slightly different approach now and i think particularly if you're quite early stage i think you've got to be the one who's out there pounding the pavement and, and, and just listening. Because the thing is, you, if you're doing the sales pitch, that's your customer. They're telling you the answers, basically, of what you need to build. Um, and so, yeah, I love joining the calls now. But that was the biggest, yeah, sort of thing I've got to adapt to over the years. Yeah. No, I think um, I think you're absolutely right. And And for me, the same thing with product. Like, I am back in on product now where I felt like I handed it over because I had so much other things to do, but it's a different kind of product when I'm in product. Yeah. And is that, and is that one of your passions? Is that something you really enjoy as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
it's a foundation of why it set the business up really I think um I always think uh I just I like to be creative and well, obviously that's a creative outlet and even um when I was about 14 we got taught PowerPoint and it was before him um, you know now you can make it fly in and fly out but back in the day you couldn't and I'd make these pictures and I'd come up with inventive ways to make things disappear um I mean, I don't know why I used to make like a show or something and then I'd want my mum to watch it and she'd watch it for five seconds and be like, listen, it's going on for like 45 minutes. It's boring. Um, but in my head, it was it was great and it was just that that creating an experience for somebody else or, or um, a pathway for somebody else or a product for somebody else, basically. So, yeah, my thing. Yeah, I think you've got to be in there for the outcomes, you know, to, to, it sounds from what you're saying, you know, delighting the customer of the brilliant product. And it's the same reason I've done any of my, you know, innovate my school ethic impacts. Like uh, it's probably why I enjoy the sales calls because you get to see them really excited about something you built, mm. and, you know, the impact we're actually having in their businesses by helping them generate more leads or visibility or learn about their products through customer reviews, or it's the school saying this, should have existed this is exactly what we needed you know you just get so happy when you hear that and um it can't just be about the money like if it's money first i've seen a few businesses who've gone in revenue first and they, they just don't last that long um especially in education like you you have to have you have to have something to believe in um it's so interesting because um we interviewed um the md of rm she called monique um a couple of months ago and she basically said that she came from the retail sector where at Christmas you can kind of have a bad set of pajamas and you can just sell it because it's Christmas mm. but in education you can't do that it has to be good because yeah. you'll get found out basically I think that's yeah. right yeah and I think that that's that's a change isn't it to what you're talking about with outcomes and impact and the point of of edtech impact is demonstrating that value of the people's products out there to the the buyer effectively yeah i mean having spent so many years working with the vendors you know some of them have absolutely brilliant products and but they're just struggling of how to get that visibility or, or yeah. get that feedback and generate leads and they look at what's out there the options spend tens of thousands to go to a trade show and you know hopefully get the footfall and if they get the footfall they're fighting off everybody else i'm not saying you shouldn't do those exhibitions as a route to market, but they can be valuable. But if you're a small business, it's really hard to spend mm. money. And, you know, when you have to get a return on that investment, otherwise you're not going to be able to pay the bills. You know, I made that mistake. I remember putting my house savings into an exhibition because they, they phoned me up and they said, oh, you've been requested by the delegates. And I just felt yeah. line and sinker for it. It's like, oh, really? Mm. Should have just yeah. pushed back. So I put put all, all my money in. And, yeah. It is really expensive as well. I mean, we've never um, done it at, in the UK. We've recently done it abroad. Mm. Um, but it's so, especially, it depends how much your product is as well. Yeah. Um, but it can it can be really difficult to to see that return because it's not just about the day. You've got to have this massive plan afterwards and you've got to have people to to follow through on that if you don't necessarily have the time for that yeah. yourself. Yeah, we were, we were doing like military training in the office before 
you know, on making sure, you know, spot the tire kicker, um, <laughs> spot the one, you know, I want you out in the aisles, pulling them in and yeah, you know, cause it meant a lot to us and uh, you've yeah. really got to work it. Like you say, the, the, the pre, the during, the after, the social, there's so much to, to really make the most of that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's not something to do lightly. And I think there's so many other things you could be doing that possibly, it, it depends where you're at though. If you've got a high price point, then an exhibition, you can afford that acquisition cost. And mm-hmm. like you say, if you're going international, you're trying to learn about the marketplace in, in that. So you want to talk to as many people as you can. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Also, um, to break into the international market, beast obviously help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can get funding with the DIT. Well, we did, um, whether that's still in place now. But obviously that helps, you know, it helps incentivize it. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a quick question, um, which is a bit off um, off piece, really. But um, did you ever fancy? So you're working in schools. Um, you, your dad's a head teacher. Did you think, oh, I fancy being a teacher, or did you just think, no, no, mine is the tech support? Because it's so funny talking to you. Like I'm looking at you both. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at Ed, and I'm like, gosh, you've kind of got a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anything, it pushed me the other way. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was. I think it was. There were some tough kids in that school, um, mm. based on where it was in Liverpool. Where, where was it? Because I did my teacher training in Liverpool. Oh, right. Cardinal Heenan and West Derby. Oh, I didn't. I, I don't know where that is. I was at um, Halewood. That was my really tough school. Yeah. I, you know, it, it drew on different areas, um, but some of them were a bit more deprived. And, mm. you know, there was one area, Cantrell Farm, Canny Farm, and, you know, it was, I used to drive through it and, you know, you'd lock the doors and things and there'd be mm. kids flying past on quad bikes and balaclavas with the sight in a police car going after them in, with the sight. Mm. I'd never seen a police quad bike before. And I didn't know they, but that's so they could follow them down the dirt tracks and stuff. So mm. yeah, it, you know, and I saw a few teachers come in it, come in because I'd play five aside with them on a Friday and they'd be in bits by the end of the week. because they'd just mm. been torn to shreds and just, you know, for a quiet lad like me, that, that didn't really appeal. Although I look mm. now and I see the life of the international teacher who working in Dubai and you know my, my best mate went uh, spent six years in Dubai and paid off all his debts and built this great mm. reputation and so I, I could I could see the attraction of that path um, I, I think I'm past that one now but um, yeah I, I totally get it and I think they're some of the most committed people most. Um, generous as well with their time yeah. in terms of sharing and helping their fellow colleagues and people they don't know on twitter just like here's my entire like lesson plan yeah Bolio, it's amazing um and we tried to tap into some of that within about my school really getting them to share their stories and their mm-hmm. tips and ideas and we had some very interesting ones mm-hmm. okay yeah um so why, why do you think then education businesses should consider the impact they're making? Well, if you're not thinking about impact, then you shouldn't be here, I would say, mm-hmm. because really that is the outcome of why you exist. I think it should be at the heart of it. You know, that is, if your customer is an educator, then that is ROI for them. It's to improve attainment, to reduce workloads, improve student collaboration, improve efficiencies across the school, improve teacher knowledge, whatever your outcome or outcomes are, like 
they sit at the heart of the business of why you exist. And so I think you should be thinking about it at all times and you should be trying to collect as much feedback as you can and evidence um, around to measure that that improvement in, in, and that efficacy of your impact within your product. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, um, but there, there are ways. And if, if you aren't doing that, then then start now. Um, you know, obviously, this is a space that I've, I've, I've sat at a lot of roundtables and had a lot of discussions about how to measure impact and how to build evidence. And I think for so long, it's been left to bigger businesses who can afford to could, to pay for large efficacy studies, large randomized mm-hmm. control trials, costing a million quid, you know, and then it takes two years. And then at the end of it, um, the product's totally changed and it's all a bit of a waste. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it proved impact in a very specific context. But what about the other 99% of mm-hmm. users you have what about the evidence for those guys? So I think it's a combination of, of different things. It's collecting data within your platform and, and looking at, at that, you know, engagement and, um, and use, and then just creating that ongoing feedback loop from your customers, which is what EdTech Impact sets out to do. It's mm. um, it, it helps you essentially collect feedback from your customers on the impact metrics that you care about on an ongoing basis. And then, replying to them and sort of building that that dialogue and giving your customers that voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you could work with academics, you could work with researchers to do more coordinated studies. Um, I think the first step is probably to, without getting too scientific about it, but creating a logic model, like what are your actual outcomes? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's an interesting one because when we set up Ethic Impact, we partnered with UCL, University College London, um, I don't know if you remember the Educate program. It was like a couple of years ago. It mm-hmm. had a lot of funding. So. Yeah, and they had they had a whole team there who would help you create that logic model. Um, and we created our own taxonomy of outcomes, student outcomes, teacher outcomes, whole school outcomes, parent outcomes, which we now use. So when an, a product comes along, we ask them to choose the outcomes they care about. They then sit at the heart of this uh, this feedback loop. And mm. so we start to collect qualitative and quantitative data on those outcomes. And that's the process, essentially. And it's about doing it as frequently as we can. But it's interesting because you get the odd business who selects every single outcome. I mean, there's, there's 30, 13 plus. And we're like, really? You're, you're good at everything? Like, you, mm. okay, well, let's see. Um, and then it comes back and you know they're, they're, they're stronger in some areas than others. So, mm. so it's, a, it's a learning process as well. Um, yeah. It, it's not, yeah. It, and I think if you don't have that in place at the heart of the business, attached to customer success, marketing, sales, product, it, it really should be baked in operationally. Um, and then you know you really, you really united the teams around the thing that that matters most. Hmm. So, so if you, go on, you go. <laughs> I was going to say, um, so as, as a as a buyer, then, so this kind of. There's different different ways you can kind of prove the impact, I suppose. So, you know, it could be via review some other customers who've used that product and, and kind of the kind of real evidence of them um using it in their school environment, for example. 
or you could, like you say, you could pay a lot of money for full-scale research program and things. But as a buyer, what do you think would be as a decision-maker in a school or a teacher buying a product? What do you think is more important? Somebody who's really used it, giving their opinion on it, or somebody or some kind of big research program? I feel like you know the answer, but uh, I will say it is show me what is working well in a school like mine with the same characteristics as me, the same context. Um, I mean, for years, teachers have always bought from other teachers. I, I mean, take my dad, for example, always wanted what was in the school down the road or what was being used, what was popular in his network of heads. And, and I still think that applies. Um, but I'd like to think it's a little bit more than just, you know, such and such a head said it's great. Mm-hmm. So, what, yeah, I mean, with EdTech Impact, we are, the whole purpose of the reviews is to collect teacher feedback in different contexts around the things that matter. So, you know, how, how frequently are they using it? How long have they been using it for? What's the profile of the user? How many users, how many students used it? And what's the profile of the school? What's the context? I think if you can share those conditions, that that evidence, then I think, well, I, I know it, it, it builds a lot of trust and competence and can drive conversions. Um, interesting one, you know, Beza do an EdTech uh, research piece every year with, with teachers on their buying habits. And I've been tracking this. And so I can actually give you a stat. So in 2017, reviews was like 21%. But now it's seventy three percent as a as a of what do you use to to inform mm-hmm. your decision making? This is obviously with ad tech, but yeah. I suspect it it sort of ripples across all all, all the other categories mm-hmm. as well. So I do think it is it is reviews, but that is the first step. You know that gives you competence. Oh, this is something we we should we perhaps should be interested in. But yeah. you know, and then the other research follows on top. I think there's a problem with some of the bigger research pieces where you get this big academic report at the end. I mean, first of all, have, have the teachers got time to read that? Do they understand the language? Do they understand what it means? And that has of, often been the problem. Um, I'm not being dismissive about it and say it shouldn't be there. It should, but I do think there's a translation that needs to happen there. And um, I also think we use reviews in how we buy, you know, through e- other e-commerce sites mm. in, in our everyday lives. You know, that, that data exists. If I'm buying, uh, I don't know, a curry on Friday night, I can find out feedback yeah. from lots of customers uh, or I'm buying the next iPhone. But in education, that doesn't exist. So that's the, the gap we're trying to fill. Yeah. Do you think that there's a, a change in picture with some of the larger multi-academy trusts now? Because I know that there's a lot of focus on data and they often now have non-teaching roles in those environments that might be specifically looking at data and things like that definitely particularly in the larger trusts so we're working with a number of trusts and international school groups um working with one international group 61 schools and they have the fortunate capacity to to be able to like you say non-teaching roles they've got a cto or uh you know an it or the chief digital officer who has got the time to to build a digital leader program, and these are the, mm-hmm. the people who then are are taking a more research approach, starting to audit their edtech ecosystem as the first mm-hmm. stage. What have we actually got? Stage two, is it any good? Let's start collecting evidence. Let's build in a framework where we can we can test and evaluate and make decisions mm-hmm. at the end. Do we keep it? Do we retire it? Do we roll it out across the other schools? That's absolutely what we're seeing. 
um, as mm. every school is going through a form of digital transformation at the moment, just they're all at different stages. What we're seeing is the bigger trusts in particular are starting to build their own internal frameworks uh, to, to, to manage that process more, more effectively. Just because you've you've mentioned it again, what what do you think that digital transformation in schools looks like over the next ten years? Okay, uh, I, I suppose it will still be going on in ten years. I don't think there's an end point. Um, like I say, everybody is going through a transformation and has a strategy of sorts. It's just some are very early stage. Um, I I would like to think. Um, everybody knows what they have. And I know that sounds really basic, but the more schools and groups we work with, the more we realize that they don't actually know what's being used in in, in their schools. Um, I mean, taking the international group, for instance, pretty high profile one, they had 700 products when we have audited, 50 maths apps. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of overlap there. There's mm. possibly a bit of wasted money. So I think that is step one. Uh, so you know, schools are, are tight on on money. You know, let's let's get rid of some of the subscriptions we don't need. Let's invest in the ones we do. Um, I think there has to be a CPD element baked into this. You know, we can't have this endless recycle of products that that happens all the time. You know, because a teacher left or it didn't get the implementation correctly or the support it needed top down or the right training for the staff um, but I would hope everybody's kind of learned from those lessons there's more knowledge sharing around how to do that better I think the edtech vendors are having to work harder than ever before to retain customers and put that customer success piece in, into it um, I think they hopefully have a handle on more data I, I definitely don't think schools all schools will be evaluating their products as effectively as we like. It's just a capacity problem. That is the thing. Um, you know, unless suddenly they had loads of money and it's probably unlikely to change. So, um, but I do think they'll have a better idea of what, of, of, of a strategy and, and be working towards that, that goal or whatever their North Star metric is. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you brought up. Um, and I'm sure well i can definitely talk to this um but it, it's more that centralization and understanding of what of what um a school has for example i suppose particularly with mats you want to make sure that um everything's compatible and then um, you know even you even come up against that now don't you ed it's like no you can't have that software if it doesn't go with so and so so and so and so and i want to know you can't just go off and buy it yeah absolutely i think i think that's I think nowadays there's so much choice, there's so many different products on the marketplace and it's, you know, how you coherently and easily make those talk to each other um, so that actually all your assessment data lands in the right place, in a, a place where you can do something effective with it easily rather than having to go into 10 different systems to, to see that information. So how can, you know, it's kind of hooking everything together. And that's important in a business environment as much as a, a school environment. I would like to think we've solved that problem in 10 years' time with the, the plumbing, if you like, of the infrastructure of all the products and getting them to, to talk to one another. I mean, interoperability is coming up a lot and there, there are mm -hmm. solutions out there that can help with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's hopefully one that's resolved and a lot of money and time is saved on the back of it.
Yeah, and obviously we, we were at an event um, a couple of weeks ago where we, they were talking about this, and I suppose it's 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 got a lot of benefits, but then also it could have restrictions um, in terms of innovation. But I guess we'll just have to see how it goes, and I suppose the, the, that's where the bigger companies will lead. Mm. Yeah, we definitely don't want to stifle innovation, and there's just there's got to be room for for, for startups to come in. Um, but it's a very challenging environment right now, and we're seeing quite a lot of consolidation. That's it's really ex- exploded, I would I would say, in, in the ed tech sector now. Um, and maybe that 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 is a good thing in some ways. Although the event we were at, they were criticising very heavily how how most consolidations don't work out mm. for, for anybody. That no one's the real winner, uh, which was interesting. But if they get that bit right, surely they will. Then. Um, yeah, I think that 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 will will improve the conditions for for, for schools and and the, and the ed tech sellers. Yeah, yeah. Um, just before we we finish up, then, um, so obviously it's ed tech impacts, and where where on there? Um, would I say that we're definitely ed tech? I'm not sure. So my question to you is. If somebody's listening, what's the the um, checklist? I suppose to say yes, I should be on there, and um, you know, the team can help me get the data that I need to get, or some of the data that I need to get. What's um, uh, uh, who who would benefit from it? Basically, I think ed tech is a very broad term that gets applied to everything. Mm. I mean, it's basically have you got a digital solution in any form? Have you got digital resources? Yeah, then we can definitely help with EdTech Impact. Um, we have a lot of different categories and lots and lots of different filters so that we can get very granular or so that so the teacher looking for the solutions can get very granular. So if, if, if those apply to you, if you've got digital resource, then we'd love to have you and there's no cost to join EdTech Impact. We are trying to build and consolidate and bring everything in under one roof for schools. Um, based in the UK and, and 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 globally as well. If you don't have a digital solution, then right now we don't have uh, an answer for for you. But um, you could also look at Innovate My School and share some articles and share your story that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, go to edtechimpact.com and you can read a lot more information about it, or or contact me directly, or find me on LinkedIn. Uh, love to chat. Thank you. I just, um, I think it's so interesting because everyone's got a different um, idea of what EdTech is. And I'm like, oh, are we EdTech? I don't know. Um, it's it, it's uh, just one of those things where you just want to clarify what constitutes that. And I think, you know, there are quite a lot of um, people who are making their own resources that you can download digitally that really could benefit from being on the mm-hmm. platform and um, starting to engage with that. They might be on already, um, but maybe they're not. And uh, that'll be um, m- more companies that um, you find out about as well. Yeah, just the whole process of collecting reviews is, I do think it's really important. And, and then sharing them widely on your socials, mm-hmm. on your website. We've got widgets to embed on your page. You know, all of this builds further trust and social proof, which drives conversions. Ultimately, it's not you saying we're great. It's our independent partner and our customers, you know, verified. Yeah. So that's the difference. That's how it can help really not just visibility on the platform, but 
really leveraging all of that feedback and that data at every customer touch point possible because it is about trust. And just to add a stat on the trust thing, so we did a survey. So I also co-founded the EdTech Evidence Group um, with eight other EdTech UK EdTech businesses a few years ago. And really, it's a community to bring together peers. So it's really hard going on the evidence. It's a journey building your evidence. No one is nailing it, I would say. So we, we've created this peer-to-peer community where we can learn from each other. And uh, we did a survey at the start uh, to use, using TeacherTap. You may have heard of. Mm-hmm. I think there was about 8,000 yeah. teachers using it at the time. And only 8% said that they trusted the claims made by EdTech vendors, mm-hmm. which I, was, I, I thought it'd be higher. I knew it'd be low, but yeah, you know, that's a crisis of trust, I'd say. So you've, you've got to work really hard to try and build that trust in this uh, saturated marketplace, as you say. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, your customers are the best way to do that. Yeah. I'm just conscious of time now. Um, I just, I want to say thank you so much for being so generous with it. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat to you. I feel like um, I've heard a lot about you through Lee, but um, we've not really had a chance to chat um, one-on-one. So, although this is two-on-one, but anyway, thank you for that. It's really helpful. Thank you. Brilliant. And hopefully we meet up at some point as well. Yeah, we were just at an event, but didn't manage to say hello to each other. I was just explaining before. I was like, right, definitely need to see Michael, but... What, I just wanted to check exactly what it looks like. And then there was no internet either. And I was like, um, I will try and see all the badges. And then I just got talking to people and I kept looking over. I might have even looked at you and I might have thought, is that you? But um, <laughs> anyway, here I we are online. Probably didn't have, I probably have my contacts in, so no glasses. That, like that. You, that, that, yes. I was like, no, no, he wears glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I had a guy at that who got really annoyed because I didn't meet him. And I was like, I was standing exactly where I told you. And he's like, he was looking at me and everything, but yeah. Maybe I, just... I wasn't annoyed. I wasn't annoyed. I was just like, I really should say hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was tricky. There was loads. Of, I mean, like the second time I got out of Chester, I think in two years. So it's hard, you know, trying to meet everybody. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people there. I'm going through the LinkedIn list. I don't know about you. The, the list on LinkedIn. Out. I haven't done that yet. Um, but, but yeah, thanks for the reminder. Yeah, so later today, they're just going to get loads of requests from me and you, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, another cold email. But hey, you gotta, you got to be in it to win it. This is you it. That you've true. just said you've got to network. Yeah. 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 Well, super. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks both. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Education Business Podcast. To get more information to grow your business, sign up at educationbusinessclub.co.uk.